Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library right here in Wellsville, New York. I'm Nick Gunning. My guest today is a medical doctor, a musician, and an internationally best-selling author. It's Tess Gerritsen. Tess, hello. Ah, uh, hi. It's good to be here. Yes. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. I'm glad you agreed to, to come back around. How is uh, <laughs> how's your quarantine gone? Um, well, I, got, <laughs> I am fully immune. Oh, yeah. Well, as immune as you can be with two shots. So yeah. I, things are looking up. I, I mean, agree. I'm actually... Yeah, I'm looking out at the world, and it seems a little brighter now. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, we're kind of thinking ahead. Like, my wife's birthday is this summer. We were kind of thinking, oh, what fun thing could we do? And it's weird to be thinking in terms of, like, doing fun things again, you know, rather than <laughs> rather than just being like, how can yeah. we Zoom with friends? So it's weird. Yeah, I mean, I, you can if you're all vaccinated, you can get together. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. And eat outdoors at restaurants. I mean, we have not gone near a restaurant for a year and a half. Oh, so. agreed. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's such it's such a weird feeling. My son is six, and for him, you know, one year to a six-year-old is like ten years to the rest of us, you know. And so it's almost like he just kind of thinks this is life, you know. So right, kind of right. getting out of that is jarring for him more so than us. That he's kind of like, oh wait, what? <laughs> I can hug grandma. I don't know about that, you know. It's just a <laughs> right. oh, such a weird world, but yeah, it is nice to Uh-oh. be able to speak about it with some optimism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I have two granddaughters. Um, one, you know, one is only four years old, so this is probably all she remembers. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm sure she's going to go into the world from now on, always having a mask in her purse. <laughs> probably, probably. I know that's such a strange thought. I think about you know friends who have had children, you know, during this time, and how stressful it is to have a newborn anyway. But add oh. a pandemic onto that. Yeah. I, I have a lot of sympathy and respect for parents of infants during this time. Oh. <laughs> well, we've reached that part of the show where we open up our books and see where our bookmarks are at. Well, Tess, any recent recommendations you might share with us today? Yeah, I just read Karen Cleveland's book called Need to Know. Okay. Uh, she was a CIA analyst, and she layers all that information and all that background into a fantastic story. I feel like you can always tell with that kind of thing, you know, when it's when it's practical knowledge versus research knowledge. It's like there's just a little bit of an edge from somebody who's writing about something that they've actually experienced. Do you find a difference in that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, it's really hard if you don't if you don't come out of that world. Oh to yeah, really be able to capture it in a novel. Yeah, um, I mean, research can get you pretty far. Oh sure, yeah. Yeah, but but there's there's textures that you just I mean, I think you really need to be part of that world. Have you I mean, is this a, a genre that you've enjoyed reading in the past or is this sort of a new a new venue for you? Well, it's only I'm um, you know, I'm reading a lot of a lot of nonfiction about the okay. CIA and um, and spies in general, just because I I'm working on a new story that is based on my my hometown. Oh, OK. Uh, we seem to have a lot of retired spies in my town. Really? Yes, I found out. I, you know, when we first moved here, I realized that two of my neighbors worked for either the CIA or its or its predecessor. That's. I mean, that and, sounds like a movie right there. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought. I thought, well, isn't it interesting? You know, all these ex spies. What do they know? And what what would happen if they had to be called back? Yeah. A lot of wisdom that goes out with the old guard. Um. And and what if you have to bring them back for other reasons? So mm-hmm. that that's the the basis of the story. It's just the town where I live. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Now, when you're reading something specifically for for research, do you still 
Like, you must be looking at it with more of a critical eye. Is it still enjoyable to read, or does that sort of become more like work for you? It depends on the book. Yeah. I mean, some books are so well written that you don't, I mean, you're not even doing research anymore. You yeah. just want to see what happens. And that yeah. was the case for this particular book. But no, I'm, I am reading it differently. I'm looking at uh, how professionals interact with each other and, and the world she describes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that reading a lot of fiction in a particular world helps you when you're trying to write a book sort of in on the outskirts of that world as yeah. well. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I've been doing a lot of um, reading with my son, who he's six. And one of the things that we've been doing during the pandemic, because he, he was, you know, he was only school half and half, so home a lot. So he and I had started doing little book clubs together where I'd let him pick something from the library, then he'd read it and I'd read it. And one of the things I loved as a kid was those, the great illustrated classics. Have you seen those? Like yes. they're abridged versions and there's a picture every other page. I just devoured those. And so I tried to sort of see if it would work for him, and it has. So he uh-huh. he read the illustrated classic version of Captain's Courageous uh, by Rudyard Kipling. And I'd never read either version, so I read the original of just for the first time as an adult. And I just really enjoyed it. I mean, I love a good shipwreck story, a good fish-out-of-water story. And I just I thought it was really good, and he's loving the uh, illustrated classic as well. So it's a, it's worked out, yeah. you know. But it's funny when we go back and read our childhood books, sometimes we think, why did I love this? Story? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see that all the time. And, um, you know, I, I will read a, a book that I absolutely adored to my grandchild and they, yeah. they're not getting it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've definitely experienced that with my son. It's the same for movies, too. I mean, sometimes I'm there's. There's movies that are like beloved childhood memories for me, and I'm terrified to go back and rewatch them because I imagine they're probably terrible and I don't want to, you know, know. mess with that. But yeah, true of books, too. I'm currently reading this one called The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is a uh, it's a historical fiction. and We're doing it for a system wide book club. Uh, Have you heard of this? Yes, I have. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. It's one of the things where it's like I'm finding myself almost more interested in the the writing, you know, just just the the style and the in the poetic way that he kind of gets to even mundane things. That to me is really interesting. And so I think it's going to make for a good book club discussion because it's just very layered. So reading yeah. and enjoying that right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, thanks for sharing. Uh, you ready to get to our topic today? Uh, happy to. Yeah. Okay. Now, back when I interviewed you for the All the Books show, and this has been a couple years now, uh, I asked you one of our favorite questions to ask, and that was looking at your back catalog. If there was a book that you'd want a new reader of yours to discover, or one of your books that you really, you hoped that people had read, you said without hesitation, your book Gravity. And I, I wonder, uh, well, two, two things, really. Could you tell a little bit about the plot of Gravity and why that one jumped to your mind so quickly when I asked that question? Uh, well, there's a funny phenomenon about authors. Is very often the books we loved the most that we, that we wrote are the ones that the fewest members of the audience <laughs> connect with. Um, so, so briefly, the story is um, about a disaster aboard the International Space Station. Yeah. It's a... Uh, an organism has been introduced into uh, onto ISS. It um, has mutated because of the lack of gravity, and it is killing everybody aboard. Mm-hmm. And there is one woman who is the heroine. She's a medical doctor. She's one of the astronauts, and she is infected and she's dying. Mm-hmm. 
Meantime, her husband is on earth and he's going to do everything he can to try and save her. So it's just this love across hundreds of miles. Yeah. And what happens. It, it, it's very much um, more of a science fiction thriller than in, I think any other thriller. Yeah, you know, I because I, I, I just recently read it because we're doing it for the book club, of course. And uh, I kind of thought, boy, we ought to move this into sci-fi because I think it I think it really is. A, a, I would put it more as as science fiction, which is interesting because that's that's not your typical book, you know, that, that you oh. would normally do. Well, what is typical about this story is it is it's science based. Oh, yeah. It's science based thriller. Yeah. So I don't know. It kind of skirts between science fiction and a scientific thriller. I don't know where you'd want to put it, um, but definitely it has these thriller aspects. And but to me, what drew me to the story was more about relationships. It's about what will you do to save the person you love? Yeah. Um, and that uh, what desperate measures will you would, will you go to? Um, mm -hmm. So that you know it it surpasses the all the science and all the sciencey stuff in there it's really about a marriage yeah well i think it's interesting because it's it's one that i feel like someone who's who's a fan of your books who maybe who who knows you best from rizzoli and isles or something like that you know i think if they pick that up they would be a little surprised and you know i think that's it's interesting that you're able to sort of switch up you know the style and sort of approach in that book because i feel like if i read that blind and i didn't know who wrote it i think i probably would have gone through like robin cook michael crichton before i got to tess garretson just to guess it you know so i and i i wondered just about the process of this because i know obviously you have a medical background and you know you, you you've written a lot of medical thrillers um but i wonder what the research for this was like oh gosh it was massive I, let, let me <laughs> that's what i figured <laughs> Yeah, let me start about out about what what inspired me for the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, yeah, because it's certainly nothing I ever expected to write. Mm -hmm. I, I write medical thrillers at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um. So very science based medical thrillers, mm -hmm. but there had been an accident aboard the Mir space station, which I mean, if you're old enough, you remember Mir was was uh, in orbit. Oh sure. Um. There were three astronauts on board, and um, they had done an experimental docking with a resupply module. Um. There was a collision. Mir began to spin out of control. There apparently was an onboard fire. Mm. We were hearing about this in the news. Oh, sure. A, yeah. A frightening thing. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, there are three dead men up there. There's, you know, they somehow were not being able to to um, evacuate. Yeah. And that really horrified me because yeah. I'm a little claustrophobic. And oh, I thought, sure. What is it like to be dying in a tin can in space? But yeah. the part that really got to me was that we were hearing the transmissions. Mm -hmm. We hear them die. And yeah. that is a horrible thing. Yeah. What if you what if your spouse was up there and you can hear them take their last breath? Mm -hmm. So that's what gripped me first. Yeah. I came across a story that was the basis for John Krakauer's book Into Thin Air about the climbers that went up um, and ran into a snowstorm and they knew they were going to die. Mm -hmm. This was the Himalaya. Mm -hmm. Knew they were going to die. There was no rescue possible. And one of the last things one of the climbers did was take out his satellite telephone to call his wife mm. and say goodbye. Mm -hmm. What what kind of a conversation was that like? Yeah. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking. So yeah, it is. I, I was playing off that. I thought well, the last goodbye was the theme of my story. Yeah, that's how I ended up with this idea. Well, what is the one place? What is the one gap where you cannot be rescued? Mm -hmm. And that, that is orbit. Yeah. So that's how it, the whole idea started. I mean, I was, I was so excited about this idea and I pitched it to my editor and they said, oh, this sounds like a great idea. Go ahead and write it. Then I thought, oh, I don't know how to say this. 
<laughs> we got yeah. it. We got the message. Yeah. I got the message. Oh, now, now I've got to figure out yeah. how to do this in a realistic way. Yeah. Because the goal for me, and I often don't achieve it, <laughs> is that an expert in the field cannot tell that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. That, you know, that this will pass muster with a NASA engineer who will not laugh. Mm -hmm. So that was that was my goal. And I had to do enough research to, to know what it, first of all, ISS had not even been launched yet. It was still oh, blueprints. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was working off the projected um, design of ISS. Oh, interesting. Um, so it started with that. The other thing is, I you know, I didn't know much more about space than anybody who just reads the newspaper. Yeah. I've never been a nerd in that regard. <laughs> so I had to settle. I really had to settle into what is it like to be an astronaut? Yeah. That was the beginning of the long research process, which probably took me a couple of years. Wow. It was a year of solid research, and then it was a year of writing, plus additional research as I came across things that I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't have a research assistant. I did it all myself wow. because I firmly believe that part of the joy of research is that when you uncover things, it also opens up plot lines mm -hmm. that you didn't think about. Yeah. So you can't leave that to an assistant because that's part of the discovery is, oh my yeah. God, I no, can that do makes perfect sense. Story. Were you able to, you know, interview astronauts or, or people who were working in NASA or anything like that? Did you have access to that sort of thing? Well, here's here's how I approached it. Okay. Um, I, I was an anthropology major in college. Okay. So I view people as tribes. So I wanted to get into the NASA tribe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did a lot of reading before I approached NASA. I think it's really important to, before you ask your source, that you know a lot about that source. Yeah. And so I knew that there was an inherent... Um, I would say a conflict between U.S. military space program and civilian space mm -hmm. program. They're competing for the same dollars. They don't always see eye to eye about missions. Yeah. I mean, if you're an Air Force person, you think space is for us. Right. And if you're NASA, you grew up on Star Trek and you think space <laughs> is for all time. Right. right, right. So I finally got up the nerve, and I'm actually a very shy person, to call up um, the public affairs office um, at Johnson Space Center in Texas. And the conversation went something like this. I said, um, I'm a thriller writer. I want to write about uh, a disaster in space. Can you help me? And he said, um, tell me more about your story. Tell me, tell me you know, what mm -hmm. else goes on. And I said, well, there's a biological disaster aboard ISS, and it kills everybody aboard except for my heroine. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, you know, he says, let me tell you what the, pr what the purpose of my office is here. It's to make my organization look good. <laughs> so what else, what else goes wrong in your story? Yeah. And I said, well, a shuttle crashes on landing, killing everybody aboard. <laughs> and he said, I'm not sure I want to cooperate yeah. with you. Right. Yeah. Fine. I said, wait, wait, wait. Um, everything that goes wrong in my story is not your fault. Oh. That's not everything right. And he said, well, whose fault is it? And I said, it's the military's. <laughs> and he said, what would you like to come? So, <laughs> so you found your way in. So Very clever. Very clever. I found my way in. He was fantastic. His, net is, his name is Ed Campion, and he's continued to be a friend all these years later. So I went. he set, he set up all these interviews for me. He gave me a tour of the campus. I mean, I, I did... It was good that I went down there because not only did I get to talk to people I needed to talk to, primarily the um, aviation medical people, mm. because I needed to know what happens when you have a medical emergency in space. Yeah. And, and it's very complex how you handle that as a medical doctor. It's very different from being on Earth. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to find out, the, the major thing I wanted to find out is 
what can go wrong and how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Now, NASA isn't going to say, well, these are all the things that can go wrong yeah. because I think they've got it all covered. Yeah. So I'm trying to, to worm my way into a possible scenario where things do go wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard thing to ask somebody because they think they've, they figured it all out. Yeah. Uh, so finally, I, I just, I went to the, um, flight director and this is this is like the gene krantz of the hero kind of he's in charge of everything and i down with him i said how do i make how do i make a shuttle crash how do i how what can go wrong mm. how does that happen and he said, no we we've got backup systems after backup systems we you know i don't know how to answer that question and i said okay how about this what if everybody on board goes unconscious how do you land that shuttle and he said oh well that's a problem <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just assumed that you could, that NASA, you know, that ground control could land it through right. your computer yeah. on their own. And he goes, well, no, we have a problem there because it takes a human hand, a functioning human hand mm. to flip switches on board oh. the orbit. Um, and so he, there are three switches. One is to start the deorbit burn. The other is is to land up the the sensors so that it you know lines up with the landing strip, and then there's one last switch that a hand has to has to flip, and that's to lower the landing gear. Oh, I thought, oh well, you just answered my question yeah, because I wanted go. I want there to be bodies that can be autopsied for a scene. Mm-hmm. I was asking weird questions. Yeah. So, so in the story uh, in Gravity, I had the astronauts fall unconscious after they flipped the second switch. So they're all landing, they're all lined up for the landing strip and nobody lowers the landing gear and that's what causes the crash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's weird details like that that I went into um, t- to find out. But the other thing that happens when you do research is you're also getting texture. Yeah. You're finding out what the weather's like, you're finding out what the carpet is in the press room, and you're also picking up language. And this was one of the big challenges for me is that NASA is also known as the National Acronym Slinging Agency. <laughs> they don't talk the way we do, mm-hmm. everything acronym. And so you have to you have to balance whether or not you're going to have them speak in a normal NASA way right. or whether they speak in a way that we can all understand. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was how I got my access. And that was, that was part of this year-long process. Uh, it's just, you know, trying to find out what goes... To know what goes wrong, you need to know what goes right Yeah, and where those things fall apart. Now, do you think, you know, thinking back to our last chat, we were talking about your historical fiction novel, Playing With Fire. And, you know, in that interview, you were like, yeah, I, I, I actually composed that piece of music that, that, that the character is haunted by. And I thought there, well, well, this is an author who's willing to go the distance on these books if you're composing original music to go with your things. So I'm not surprised that uh, that you were that you were so willing to do all the research like this, considering your background. You said anthropology in college, and I know you know medical training. Do you think that kind of preparation is what got you keen to do research like this for your novels? I mean, is that just sort of part of your brain because of that? Well, I think having a scientific background yeah. makes you feel a little less intimidated by the idea of research. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it has to do with the sciences. I mean, I figure I can research my way into almost anything. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think that plus the other thing about anthropology background, it makes me be able to see, I guess, ways to get into tribes, as I mentioned. Yeah. How do you get access? And that yeah. access sometimes is really, really difficult, especially in, with government agencies. Mm-hmm. I mean, before 9-11, government agencies were very open. They were happy to help people. Mm-hmm. And then after 9 and things clamped down yeah. and they wouldn't talk to 
to you. Yeah. So I, I was lucky that I was able to do this before 9-11. Mm-hmm. I would think, too, anthropology just kind of gives you, I mean, it puts you in the, in the right mindset to really explore how people work and, and how how interactions tend to go. Because I think that's something in a book, if, if characters, there's nothing more jarring than to be like, people don't act that way. That wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? That's that's something that I feel like is easy to mess up and is also, as a reader, super easy to spot. So I'm, I imagine that has served you well uh, yeah. in your writing. You know, given everything that's in gravity, I mean, like, just like you said, you've got romance, you've got that estrangement between the couple that they sort of have to work through uh, while crazy things are going on. I mean, you've got action, you've got sci-fi, you've got peril. I mean, to me, this seems like a perfect thing to adapt into another medium, you know, TV, movie, something like that. Is that something that was ever looked into? Or I mean, was that something that was pursued? We're opening another subject, another another painful subject. Oh, so I did sell the rights. I sold the movie. I, I outright sold the film rights to oh. a New Line Cinema. Okay. And it was, I mean, it was on the front page of Daily Variety. It's one of, it was the biggest deal of the year okay. in Hollywood. And they were planning to make it like a huge feature film. Yeah. And they hired a really good screenwriter, the same the same person who wrote the, the script for Contact. Oh, okay. So uh, it looked like it was, it was going to be fast-tracked in. And then it... it fell into development hell. Uh. So that's what happened. Uh, and then it just sort of the whole thing disappeared from my mind for, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how many years, 10 years, 11 years. I forgot about it. I got paid very, very well. So I had no complaints. <laughs> right, <my> right. And then um, somewhere around, I don't know, 2017, um, I heard that Warner Brothers was going to be making a movie called Gravity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, female astronaut stranded aboard the International Space Station. Yeah. And I was a little disturbed by that. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, Warner Brothers had acquired New Line Cinema. Right. So they had acquired their entire library. They had acquired all their intellectual property. Yeah. Um, and I asked my agent to find out, well, what about this? Because, yeah, Warner Brothers has has the copyright yeah, to this of film. So uh-huh. they have the right to make the film, but they never contacted me. I uh-huh. mean, I was told anything about this and they said no it has nothing to do with your property it has nothing to do with your with your book Hmm. except for one little odd thing that I found out um, later that when it was in development with New Line Cinema they had hired um, they had attached a director to direct my film Hmm. and the director was Alfonso Cuaron Hmm. so he was supposed to direct my movie and then 10 some years later he's directing his own movie that he claimed he wrote oh wow yeah, so so there was an issue there. You know, I thought, wait a minute, it's the same director. He's claiming he knows nothing about my story, and yeah. yet he was attacked to direct my story. Oh, wow. And now we come up with this, the same title, the same female medical doctor. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of changes. He just he, he made his film pretty much based on the only the crisis. And my book, of course, is the whole lead-up yeah. to the crisis, yeah. plus the crisis itself. Yeah. So um, I, actu- I actually sued. Did you? I did. And unfortunately, what happened was the, the judge who took it decided that I had no standing because when I signed when I signed the contract with New Line Cinema and then Warner Brothers bought New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers did not acquire those obligations of that contract. Oh, jeez. No, it was it was like these. It was a corporate thing where um, no, the agreement that I had with their subsidiary didn't carry on into the parent. Uh, organization. So I got no credit. Um, Jeez. As I say, the, I'm, I'm, it's not the money, it's the credit that really novelists Oh, pay. sure. 
Yeah. 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 Well, I'm so glad I could walk us into this sore subject this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've, I wrote a whole chapter about it in the book Hollywood versus the author. Okay. About the ins and outs of what it's like to, to sue a major film studio. Yeah. It's excruciating. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine it would be. Huh. Well, like I said, I mean, the the turns the book takes, and I don't want to give anything away, you know, but the turns the book takes, I think, are are pretty surprising. Some of them are like, oh, wow, I, you know, like, I, I didn't know we were going to go here because it gets, I mean, it gets a little gross, you know. It does gross. <laughs> it does get gross. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the medical doctor in me. I mean, yeah. one of the things I found so fascinating is what is it like to practice medicine in space? Right. Yeah. I mean, on, on on Earth, when somebody has needs CPR, you just start you know pumping on the chest. Yeah. In space, you can't do that because they go flying off and right. on. The <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very involved. You got to tie them down. You got to. Yeah. You, gotta, you have to fix your own feet. Yeah. Uh, to a to a solid um, surface, and if you take off the tourniquet and you lose track of it, it'll float away. Yeah. And you'll never again right so, i mean imagine that where everything is flying around um and you have to be able to be aware of 3d locations as opposed to 2d locations yeah. you know on, on earth and the other thing i found and this is this you know actually aviation medical doctors are kind of gross people anyway <laughs> they, all right they said, they said we we performed um surgery on a pig uh while they were in the vomit comet when they were learning how to <laughs> With, uh, with gravity. and he says yeah because the blood goes everywhere oh jeez. Um, the blood doesn't drip in space the oh sure yeah that float around and so when they were describing the floating basketballs of blood mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i thought that's a scene yep. that's a scene yeah that becomes a quite um, a pivotal point in the story yeah well that that's what's kind of fun about reading the book is because like the things that are happening would be pretty tense if you were just, you know, in a hospital in Seattle or something. You know what I mean? But yeah. when you're when you add that extra element, it's like the escalation just goes up and up and up, and you're just like, oh my gosh! So oh my yeah, God. it's a fun. And you, and you can't run. You can't run away. Exactly. You're stuck. Yeah. You're stuck in can't. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, I want to ask here because I know it, we've we've covered a few of them already, but I know you've written across many different genres at this point. And I saw actually that even some of your early romance novels are sort of making a comeback with new editions. Uh, yeah. But but I was wondering how does the process change for you? Like when you jump a, a genre, uh, like you did with Gravity or playing with Fire is another good example. How does your process change? How does the experience change for you? Um. I, well, mainly it's the research. It's sure. the you have to immerse yourself in a new world. Yeah. I mean, with Gravity, I was so immersed that by the end of that first year of research, when I dreamt, when I had dreams, that you know, I would wake up and my dreams would involve weightlessness. I would not <laughs> have gravity in my dreams. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's really, that's that. Um, a lot of it is trying to understand how, how people think differently, how people speak differently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you do something like a historical novel, you have to you have to adjust your speech. Yeah, it also means that your writing is is going to be uh, a little more stylized. So the transition between a historical novel, where you look at old newspapers and see the way they wrote, I think mm -hmm. that's what I was trying to to get into that rhythm of mm -hmm. flowery language, and then you get to a book like Gravity, where I was trying to write in a more journalistic way, yeah. which is you know very matter of fact and machine gun stuff. You're not just adapting like the subject, but you're actually you're actually writing in different styles. I mean that that's another yeah, way to it. 
That's true. I think I, I think my style, ha- your style, has to change. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've just never thought about that before. But you're absolutely right. I mean, that it would be really jarring to not have it be, not have it match the, the you know, the the tone and the tenor of the the space that you're that you're writing in at that point. So. Hmm. Uh, is there a is there a genre or a time period even that you've wanted to work in? You know, it's kind of on your bucket list that you haven't done yet. Um, you know, I think I've no, I I think I, whenever I've been really excited about a story, I've just gone and done it. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, sometimes it's you know to the dismay of my publisher <laughs> because publishers want you to write the same book, only yeah. a little different. And mm-hmm. Readers are the same way. Readers want the same story again oh, yeah. and again. Um, yeah. So when you make an abrupt change, like you know, I did with not only Gravity but playing with Fire and then Shape of Night, mm-hmm. it it startles people. Yeah. Um, but but I'm at the age now where I think I'm just going to write what I want to write. Yeah. Because if, what I'm going to regret at the end of my life is that I stayed on the treadmill and I didn't <laughs> I didn't do what I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. It, well, I think, I, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, we see that in the library all the time, especially, I think, during this last year. There was a real movement, I think, and I, I'm including myself in this, sort of gravitating towards things that are comfortable and things that are known. You know, I mean, that's, I've been guilty of reading more, like, comfort food novels and graphic novels this past year, I think, than all of my life before that combined, just because, like, you know, you need that comfort. So, yeah, I mean, and that makes perfect yeah. sense. I find that with my TV viewing. I'm yes. Going yep. Yeah. Yep. Now I see that you've got a new book coming out in July of 2021, Choose Me, which is a collaboration with Gary Braver. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That one snuck up on me. I got. I didn't know that was coming. Oh, and... yeah. Yeah. That was um, that was kind of a quirky idea. Uh, you know, I've been following the Me Too movement. Sure. And, uh, I firmly believe that point of view is the story. Mm-hmm. That. Two people can live through the same series of events, one, and they'll have two completely different stories. Yeah. So I wanted to play with that. I wanted to see, well, what if we had a Me Too situation? Mm-hmm. In this particular story, it's about a college professor, and a married college professor, and the illicit affair he has with one of his students. Okay. Just no, 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 no. Very, very bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would those two people see that affair from their own points of view? Okay. How would that view be different? So the story, actually, it, it opens up after that college student who's had the affair is found dead. Oh, okay. And okay. a female detective comes in and says, okay, was this a suicide or was this something else? And so in the, in, in the process of her investigation, she sort of come, she realizes that there was something going on in the student's life. So it's, it's more a matter of these three points of view, the, pre, the college professor, the dead student who we see in the past, and the female detective okay. and i okay if we're going to do this i would really love to have a man write the male point of view mm-hmm. because i really want that different point of view yeah and i was talking to gary at a cocktail party in boston and i said you know what do you think about this idea and he was so excited about it mm-hmm. um so we collaborated on this story it, it was it was a difficult it was actually took longer for me to write for oh yeah me to write than it would for me to write my own story yeah because there's a lot of juggling, you know, how do we how do we work these different points of view together? But that's that's how Choose Me came about. It's a murder mystery. <laughs> so, I mean, going back to what you were saying about writing in, in different styles to, to match uh, the subject matter. Did you find yourself having to adapt? Like, how did you make it so that your 
style and Gary Braver's style meshed into a book that feels cohesive and doesn't feel like, you know, the Tess Garretson part stops, the Gary Braver begins. You know what I mean? How, how do you how do you streamline that? Well, I, I think we each allowed ourselves our own style. Okay. Uh, and th- what I had to do was I had I had to, to juggle two really different characters because yeah. I was, de- you know, my female detective is a is a 55 year old woman with teenage daughters. Mm-hmm. She's older. She's wise. Um, she knows teenage girls really well. She knows mm-hmm. young women really well. And so that's why her her antennae are up when she sees this dead female college student. And then I also had to switch into the head of Taryn, who is this college student, who's a little bit obsessive, a little mm. bit strict, and a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's going from a you know a twenty one year old to a fifty five year old, and that that was that was the switch up that I had to do. And that again, those are two very different voices. Mm-hmm. How do you? How do you? I just feel like it's it's kind of a touchy subject still. You know the the Me Too movement and everything. How do you handle exploring both sides of that? You know, still being respectful uh, and not, I don't know, right, being problematic. It's tough because we wanted we wanted to be be respectful of yeah. the fact it's a real movement and sure. it, and it, and, it, and it deserves to be. Mm-hmm. But I was just taken by the idea that men always see things differently, mm. or they often see things differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get that voice in um, just to see how a man would, would look at these things. Yeah. How, how, how would a man look back on what he's done? Would, how guilty would he feel? Um, and one of the things that we wanted to emphasize is that this man did a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does feel guilty and mm-hmm. he does pay for it. He is punished in the worst possible way. But at the same time, we need to have some element of sympathy for him mm-hmm. because he is another human Right, and I and I, it is touchy. It's very delicate, and in a way, it's probably going to be controversial. Mm-hmm. But you know, people are human, and yeah. they make mistakes. Is this something? I mean, working in this collaborative way, is this something that you'd want to do again in the future? Because I hated no, group. No, no, I, I hated find, group projects in college. So <laughs> no, I, find, I find it too difficult to do with novels. It's just, yeah. it's just difficult. Okay. Um, now I do collaboration with screenplays. I mean, that's, oh, sure. that's yeah, you have to you have to choose your collaborator with the script very well, so that yeah. you have the same approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are fun, mm-hmm. um, but novels are novels are so individual. It's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to do collaboration with them. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it would be. I never understand how that happens. So it's uh, it's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, anything else on the horizon that you can tell us about, or are things still under wraps? Yeah, um, yeah no, I uh, I have a, another Rizzoli Niles book that oh, that okay. I've turned in that's okay. coming out in summer of two thousand twenty two. We have okay. a very long. I'm the, that one and uh we don't have a title yet i i love this book it's so much fun it um it's rizzoli and isles and jane's mother oh okay all right <laughs> my working title was actually mrs rizzoli because uh-huh. um i mean what is it like to be a 50 plus i I'm, i seem to have older heroines as i get older <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah a 50 plus year old woman whose daughter is a homicide cop yeah um, and she's she's recently divorced and she's at home in her old the same neighborhood she's been in for 30 plus years and she looks around she's 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 the neighborhood watch lady and she starts to see things that bother her and mm. she thinks crimes have been committed and mm-hmm. she can't convince her daughter to investigate <laughs> so what does mama rizzoli do she does it on her own and yeah. so it's, it's it's one of this these fun stories about what you know what goes on in the neighborhood that we're not aware of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well that sounds a lot of fun you said 2022 on that right yes summer of 2022 okay all right, exciting. And it's been, has this been the longest stretch between Rizzoli and Isles novels? 
Yes, it has been because I've uh, I've done two novels in between. Yeah, uh, I did The Shape of Night, which is a a sexy gothic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> another another weird uh, departure, <laughs> and then this one um, with Gary Braver. Great. Well, I'm sure people will be excited for both. Uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me again today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, if people are looking to find you online, follow you, what's the best place to do that? Uh, they can go to my website. It's TessGarretson.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at TessGarretson. Okay. Easy peasy. I like it. All right. Okay. Well, thanks again. This is a really, really a lot of fun talking to you today. Thanks a lot, Nate. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has certainly put me off from having any surgeries in space. I feel like if I'm if I'm going to have another one, it's going to be right here on solid ground because that's just, I don't know, a basketball of blood is an image that's going to stick in my mind for a little while. Anyway, thanks again to my guest, Tess Garrettson. If you enjoyed this interview, you can pop back into the All the Books archives at soundcloud.com slash allthebooks and listen to my conversation with Tess back from 2018 when we were talking about her historical fiction, Playing With Fire. So you can find that and many other interviews and episodes right there at soundcloud.com slash allthebooks or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening this week, and we will see you next time. 